0: Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: You've got to be able to separate, when am I the parent, when am I the coach and have really good conversations with your children about when you've got one hat on and when you've got the other, which is difficult.
0: Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Gordon MacLennan, CEO of Working With Parents in Sport, focusing on how you coach your own child. We're going to cut the root on how effectively you can wear two hats, that is a coach and a parent. Gordon, are you ready for the knife? Uh, yes, looking forward to it, I think. <laughs> okay, coaching your own child is never going to end that well. Is that right?
1: Uh Not necessarily. Uh, I think that... that. Well, can, you scare me by saying not necessarily straight away. Well, no, no. I, I think that can happen. I think it's a challenging role. I think lots of people have many positive experiences from coaching their own kids. But I think also by the nature of it and the volume of parent coaches we've got around the world, there are some where it doesn't quite go according to plan, either for the child or for the parent. So where where do we start to make sure it goes better than that? Well, I think you, you, you. I think ultimately you've got to know yourself as well. I was very quick. I I've been coaching my children as quickly as possible because I I just felt that it wasn't going to work out with my personality and and how I was and and the space that I needed to give them. I think. It's important you've got to talk to your own kids about taking on that kind of role. When they're younger, it's great because they think, oh, this is cool, mum or dad are going to get involved and that's great, they're going to be around my team and that's fine. As they get a little bit older, uh, I'm not so sure they want us around quite as much. But yeah, I I think your family members, your close cons, you've got to understand it's not just the coaching. This is the bit we found. It's not just signing up to... I take a team and do stuff on the field because then you've got to worry about the rest of your family, all the admin that you have to do, the fact then that your kid's at home all the time and you might be stressed and you take it back home with you and you carry on the conversation. And all well, it sounds of it, like a complete and, disaster area. Why bother? Yeah, look, because it, it can be absolutely amazing as well. But I think the key like the title of the book, is that you've got to be able to separate when am I the parent, when am I the coach, and have really good conversations with your children about when you've got one hat on and when you've got the other, which is difficult. It okay, is... so
0: we're not all experienced teachers, uh, and you've had a lifetime in teaching. So you've, you've come to these situations knowing how kids function to a certain extent. Where do we start? Let, let's start with, say, the six, seven-year-old, that you are suddenly you are the volunteer coach the, the one who stepped back slowest and therefore you're in front and you're not even probably had that conversation where do you start to make the process more effective
1: yeah i think i think a, a very open conversation with your close family in particular and your child about what it's potentially so going you're, to sorry, you're saying open conversation what are the what's the What's the opening line to have that conversation? Yeah, I, oh God, tough one, opening line. I think I think probably saying, it's probably not an, a question, I would say it's probably a statement, is this is what it's probably going to look like. I and what might, is it going to look like? Well, well, I might not always be able to be dad in a way that I maybe would as a parent parent. I'm not always going to be able to do everything to suit your needs, potentially make decisions that are always best for you. And actually what we know in this topic is that some parents, because they worry about other people's perceptions and how people perceive their coaching behaviors, they actually end up being a little bit harder on their own kids for a variety of things than. They do on other children actually it's a bit weird because it was like well I got into this to help my kid it wasn't really to get in to help everybody else's and then be harsh to on mine so yeah it, that that is difficult but yeah some people do and some people don't Dan I've heard some people who've taken on the role and then given the kids every award going from best mm-hmm. player to top try score everything going and it's like well you probably need a bit of self-awareness there as well mm-hmm. because Human nature suggests that's not going to go down overly well with everybody else stood there. Yeah. So often
0: the, the case is that the child who is tends to be probably the one of the best players that is sometimes that happens. So we're going to have different conversations here. So let's start with the idea that you're you're saying to your child, I'm not always going to be dad or, or mum or whatever parent role you have in this. So when you say that to them. What sort of things
1: will they have to expect from you which are realistic without you being over harsh? Yeah, and I think saying to them, what do you think that might potentially mean? I think explaining to them the the role of a parent and a, a role of a coach. And I think what it probably means is there's got to be an understanding from them that out there you are focused on everybody when you are speaking to a group or you are speaking to them you have got to hold them to the same standards that you would hold anybody else. So some of the bits that we have at home where our kids answer us back and play up in front of us because it's us, it's probably not going to look great in the in that coaching environment. But I think we've got a role then as parents to say, Do you know what? from the moment I get out of the car or put a boundary as to when it is on match day or training, is it the moment that we leave the house is it when we get out of the car at the club whatever that may be you then become the coach but then the moment we shut the door again actually I'm back to being a parent now and I'm asking you how it went as a dad not as a coach because that that's the next danger is that we do it and then it just continues to overspill into every area of of home life which kids everybody thinks it's great and kids want to talk about all the time they do they love it they're enthusiastic about it but they don't really, because they quite like to be left alone as well sometimes. Now, this sounds fine. Uh, I mean, I expect lots of people
0: listening in who are involved in this have, uh, have been involved as the, the coach parent for a while and mistakes have been made. How do you start to rebuild the right relationship with your child as
1: a coach and as, as a parent because things haven't quite gone to plan? I think just an acknowledgement, isn't it? And say, actually, do you know what? I may have got this wrong. I mean, I've I've done a lot of apologising, particularly to my uh, younger son over the well, years. Well, give me an example of the apologising oh, you've well, done. Hey, look, I, I've had to apologise and be very embarrassed by some of my car journeys home with him in the early days. And I'll, I'll give you an idea of how bad it was. When we were sort of chasing academy football contracts at the age of nine, I think my standards that I held him to were just way too high. I wanted to have high expectations of him, but I had high expectations of the wrong things. I was almost expecting him to have the same approach that I would have maybe have have had as an adult. And when it didn't go according to plan, as it never will with any seven or eight-year-old playing, they're going to be inconsistent and everything else. I just didn't deal with it particularly well to the stage where my daughter followed. And I said, Oh, Pippa, I'm taking you to your sport when she was 10. And I was dead excited. She said, Yes, thank you, Daddy. I'm really looking forward to it as well. But there's gonna be no car botting, she said to me. <laughs> and she and, and it was and she said, and I know that something about sport, so I'm happy for a few tips, but you're gonna do it nicely. And it was like, Oh my goodness, this is a nightmare because I was aware that I wasn't great and I'd had to work quite hard at it. And that really hit home. So my approach with her, thankfully, because I'd learned some of the lessons has has been a lot better than with my son. Thankfully, we're still friends, Dan. This will make you laugh, actually, because it's worth telling this one. So when he gets in the car now, and I'll talk to parents about letting your kids lead the conversation. If you don't feel that you're ready to talk or that sensitive period after games, or you're not happy with how it's gone, just silence is okay if your kid's disappointed silence is okay as well when he gets in the car now and I drive I decide silence is the best thing for me because if I start speaking I know that that it might not come out particularly well and he leans over now and he goes are you okay which, <laughs> I, which I know which I actually then just start laughing and get over myself because he you knows full well I'm not okay but then we actually have a really good laugh and a good chat about it. See again, every car journey, every kid's relationship is going to be different, and it's a it's a mess, Dan, and and it can be a mess, and you'll make mistakes. And I live and breathe this all the time with parents. And some of the things I talk to parents about, I still get wrong, and I still do. It, it's the nature of it. And, as long as we're getting more self-aware and as long as we're learning as we go, and as long as we're recognizing some of those uh, conflict points, I think I think that's more important because we're never going to get it perfect to start with. Yeah, I'm sure my sons are gonna really enjoy listening to this. And they said to me
0: things like, Would you just stop asking questions and asking how I feel? Just tell me what I need to know. Don't don't do the uh how are you feeling? Did you enjoy the game? What was the best bit? just tell me what you think or just shut up uh, yeah. because they
1: knew I was trying to use the Jedi mind tricks to try think, and draw you know, stuff out of them. Not that it's wrong. All no, time. and I, I think there's and this is where you always say, I, I think we talk to parents about car journeys and stuff like that is every family, every ha- car is going to be different. There's kids are going to have different demands. They're going to have different wants and needs on the way to games, after games there, some like to be told directly, some maybe extrinsically motivated rather than intrinsically motivated. Yes, in perfect practice, in the perfect world, we, that may not be the approach because actually we would rather let children have a voice, ask them open questions, let them reflect, let them problem solve, all of those things. It's quite hard work with some kids that. It takes quite a lot of time and a lot of investment and a lot of practice. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, But I think we should also be very careful that there isn't a one-size-fits-all and that's the only way to go because everybody knows their kids better than anybody else. I think, again, it's just having different things to use at different times to, to suit your needs. Now, plenty of parents will probably be saying, okay,
0: car journey, conversations, all these conversations are fantastic. But sometimes the reality is that I'm on the pitch uh, coaching and my child's been naughty it's so difficult to tell them off in the right way how do I deal with that situation
1: I mean it never well, happens
0: to you because of course you're the perfect coach out there The kids
1: always well behaved but for the rest of us hey look I think I think for me Dan I think this is and we haven't got onto this yet I think it's nice if you're not doing the coaching job alone I think any parent if, if you've got an assistant coach with you I think there's some value in having that conversation as well with your assistant coach to say, look, if it's my kid that's that's playing up, can you effectively manage that away from me so I don't have to get involved or deal with it in whatever way you see fit? And I think an assistant coach can be really valuable as well, because when we talk about separating these roles, could you imagine if we've had a massive Barney at home, there's nothing wrong with the sport, nothing's gone wrong, but we've fallen out about something at school or something that our kids have got wrong. We get in the car and we go to training and that spills over, doesn't it? That, that relationship continues. And actually if there's somebody else there that you can lean on a bit, make them self aware that actually we're not having a good time at the moment. We've had a bit of a fallout. Can you do the bits that I don't necessarily feel like doing today? That would be really good. And I think a, an assistant can help. But I guess if you haven't got an assistant, you're going to have to do what you would do with anybody else. I think that's where values become important and what, what the, the behaviours are around your group. And I think we've got to be consistent, whether it's our own kid or whether it's anybody else's kid, that they're all treated the same way and however you choose to deal with that particular situation would be the same that you would deal with it with any other child. Now this is I think the tough thing is
0: that you are extra conscious that whatever you say to your child everyone else is judging that. Now you you say that the balance is sometimes we can go too harsh or we can go too soft. I mean there is it's hard to find a middle ground with any child have you got any some ideas on how we can keep ourselves self-aware and grounded on those sorts of incidences where we
1: we're not quite sure whether we go too hard or too soft yeah i think sometimes it's when we go to the extreme where we just never say anything to our kid we barely give them any feedback or any yeah. praise and they do something and actually we probably pick up on their mistakes more than other kids as well we sort of hold them to a mm. sort of higher standard or a a higher demand that's easy to do I think being self-aware about the fact that people are watching people are looking perception I think that mindset of right we're all here to group and and trying to just separate the fact your kid's in it and just say right any quick comments that you'd make about well done love that love that creativity really good decision all those comments no one's going to pick that up if you're firing those out left right and center whether it's aimed at your kid or aimed at anything else I think probably what you've got to be aware of is when we bring groups back together to stand there and and say things like, oh, well, only only Archie got that right and he was the only one that did it brilliantly and everything else. Look, you can talk to him about that when you get home. It doesn't need to be done where everybody else can hear it and, and anything else. I, I would say coach as normal, give him the feedback as normal, be positive, treat everybody the same, just think about, going overboard, that bit where being aware of how maybe other parents are feeling if their kids haven't done it as well, or or being aware that they may not be happy with an outcome, or be aware with a particular type of award that you may have given. And that's not to say your kid doesn't pick up any awards, because that's not fair either. Why, Why should they not be part of it? Again, I think that's where awards that value other things than top try scorers, best players, Become really valuable things like hey, give me that. examples of awards like yeah. that. So stuff like on a weekly basis where anybody can win it, who's shown determination, who showed resilience, who was creative, who was adaptable, who made good decisions, who was self-organized, who who communicated well with each other. Awards that anybody can win on a given week to show that we're not just driven here by the perfect outcome or the perfect performance, that there's other things. Going on, and I think particularly with younger groups, quite nice if you have a little group of parents that that maybe help select those awards every week or get oh, like it. Yeah, and if you've got the assistant coach again, it helps. And actually, parents of other thing do acknowledge. They say, "Oh, yeah, he was good today. He needs to have it." No, nobody's that bad where they say no, they shouldn't get it. And I think that just just it's just an idea. It just helps. I think
0: you've worked with uh, a number of top sports people who've coached their own child what what sort of were the main lessons or a lesson that's come out of that which surprised you
1: actually I was surprised at how many had had been able to do it for for such a long period of time I think back to someone like Liz McColgan and 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 Ailish, for example is a really good example and Liz is still coaching her now and has done since she was in her early teens but their, their relationship has been pretty good. Liz was determined that Ailish wasn't seen as the second version of Liz, that she had her own identity. And I know hearing back and hearing their story, very interesting. I think around that time when Ailish was 18, when Liz was still coaching and she went off to uni, I think she took a bit of time out from athletics and actually just let her hair down and became herself. And she actually came back to it and and mum said, acknowledging that you've, you've got to give them time and space and it's got to come from them and can't always be driven by us. It was really a valuable time for them because then she came back and wanted to do it even better. So um, it draws
0: me onto to an interesting uh, situation. Quite often, uh, a coach will say like the under 12s, under 13s, which is a big change time for uh, many kids as they move schools. Uh, the kid might say, right, I'm giving up. And first of all, you have a conversation about why you're giving up. And the second thing is this is going to have, could have a disastrous, well, not disastrous, but a very big impact on the team. Any, any
1: thoughts on how we might try and deal with that? Look, I think that we'll always say to parents, Dan, and it, 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 it's the nature of it. I think that conversation's got to be on the table. I think any kid's got to feel safe enough to come and say, actually, do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, look, I spoke to a, a 17-year-old uh, boy few months ago now, involved in the Olympic programme, very good. And I said, why are you here? What's motivating? And he said, I don't want to let down mum and dad. I think his mum and dad would have been mortified. I'm not sure it's the greatest thing I wanted to hear in terms of how he was feeling about it and the pressure that, that he was clearly under, just as somebody who who values young people and and how well they do but that conversation does have to be there now look as you say if a kid suddenly comes up and says it we've obviously got to investigate why straight away where's that suddenly come from I'm also a big believer that you finish a particular commitment or a block of time that we're not frivolous because children can change the mind they can be fickle at times and I think Not saying, oh, yes, of course, darling, we'll do that tonight. I think I've spoken to other people where they've carried on, finished off a particular block, and a a few weeks later or a few months later, they're actually back in full swing again, and they're they're very happy to continue. So I think it's hard, isn't it? Because I think we've got to understand that ultimately it has got to come from them. Uh, If they're at that stage where they don't want to do it, we really think we're pushing pushing uphill there a bit. I think we're never really going to win that one. And then you hear amazing kids who've gone and done something else and been far more successful in the other stuff than they, they would have been in the, in the sport that we pushed them to do. Gordon, that's been brilliant. Lots
0: of great insights there. So Gordon spent 25 years in sport and education, coaching at all levels. He's also a sports parent himself, with, uh, as we've gathered uh, with two children involved in performance sport. He's published some great books on this area. Including Two Hats, which we sort of alluded to, which talked to sports stars about coaching your own child, and sports performance parenting. His philosophy is to empower people to work together, build strong relationships in amazing environments so that young people can thrive both in and out of their sport, to lead, share failings, give people confidence to fill, fill, fill their roles. You can contact him by email. That's Gordon at WWP. .co.uk or visit their website parentsinsport.co.uk so we're going to finish with some uh questions Go on, how old are you uh, early 40s dad uh, early 40s so that's 52 uh what coaching book is by your bed that's a lie by the way uh what coaching book is by your bedside at the moment uh do hard things
1: by steve magnus i've read it multiple times okay uh which coach teacher uh, are you loving at the moment Yeah Steve Magnus bizarrely uh I I, I'm really hooked into not just his book his his website platform everything that he does I all about performance and I love how accessible and real his work is it's not pie in the sky stuff it's it talks about the nuances but it's also very real and and I'm somebody who you've got to make it relatable to people you can talk all you want and yeah just just aligns nicely with with the way I see the world I think a bit bit biased maybe. Okay which team sport subject would you love to coach at the moment? Oh I've got absolutely no coaching experience in it Dan but I would love to run an American football side yeah I I, I watch it everywhere I would I would just love to bring together all those different units and try and turn it into a an effective team I'm just fascinated by it I I, yeah it would it would really appeal and yeah, as far away from anything that I've sort of hung the boots up on uh, <laughs> as possible. Something totally different would be good. Okay, who's inspired you most? This is going to be an interesting one and probably very controversial, but in my early days when I was in New Zealand and I first got into coaching, Eddie Jones, when he was at the Brumbies, was at an unbelievable level with George and Stephen Larkham and that group and Sterling Mortlock. So creative, years ahead of his time. Uh, miles ahead I mean absolutely miles ahead and it just made me realize what was possible with a bit of I don't know out of the box thinking and what you could do with young people and and back then it, it, it was new it was it was not mainstream and as I say for me gutting that he that it hasn't it didn't pan out and he didn't seem to quite evolve with everything as it as it sort of moved on which is a big shame and then all those players that you're coached and I still remember lots of them in those teenage years who were just really demanding of you as a coach and the quality of your sessions after those days where you're like oh god I can't really don't really want to think about this too much I'm too busy I'm swamped with loads of other stuff I'm still got enough in the head to to do it and they'd come up and say oh what are we doing today and are we doing this and are we doing that and Then it'd be like, oh, come on, you're going to have to pull this out of the bag because they're desperate to learn. They're desperate to do it. And it just keeps upping your game. And I think we all need that. You can see why that works well when we work in groups of coaches.
0: And finally, what would you tell your 20 year old self to do more of?
1: Oh, there's the three of these for me. And I was talking to one of my kids about it last night. I really wish I'd read more when I was younger I think I would have learned a lot more about the world linked to that I think I would have liked to have listened more rather than being arrogant and thinking I knew everything and 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 doing it my way which okay did all right with it but actually I would have far greater have done it with a lot of other people around and lots of people to talk about like we do now Uh, and I would have certainly asked more questions than I did back then so that those three things without a doubt for me and thankfully, I'm getting a second chance at still a relatively young age to to do those things with lots of people. Great. Gordon, that's been brilliant. Really enjoyable. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dan. Great to join you.